Progress. Welcome, everybody, to the Think Education podcast. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm only saying that because I realise, Judith, I never actually say my name ever, so I <laughs> thought I might, I might say it once. Um, uh, Judith and uh, myself today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Vicky Lewis, who Judith will, as is her want and clear responsibility given my, uh, my command of English, will give um, Vicky her full and, and well-justified uh, introduction. But um, it's interesting, I think, anybody who isn't um, either following Vicky on any platform or connected to her on LinkedIn, you, you need to be, because I, I was thinking about this the other day, a very high percentage of every article I read or thing that pops up that's interesting has come from a link Vicky has posted. I think it's, it's a, she's a phenomenal resource for all things international higher education. Um, and if that wasn't enough, I, I recently learned that she used to be a travel writer, which I think really fits in with some of the stuff, uh, Judith, you and I have been talking about in well, yeah. the previous podcast and indeed in, in chapters, right? So, um, yeah, over to you, Judith, for uh, uh, the, the full formal introduction. Yeah, thanks very much, uh, Chris. And we're absolutely delighted that Vicky is, uh, is joining us today, as you say, apart from social media guru, um, like I think many people who ended up in international education, Vicky's undergraduate degree was in um, modern languages. And as Chris has said, after a foray into freelance uh, travel writing, um, which I don't know, Vicky, you might go back to it at, uh, at one of these uh, times, you know, and a, and a couple of years working for a charitable foundation in Hamburg, um, Vicky, uh, well, she says she stumbled into the role of an uh, international officer at University of Wales in Lampeter, but I'm, I'm sure that they snapped her up. All the best people, of course, have worked in Wales at some point in their life. I'm just sort of meant, just throwing that out there as a, as a comment. Following a stint in Scotland, so we're going around, making sure she's going around the, the UK now. Um, Vicky was appointed to set up the international office from scratch at, at, at Bournemouth University, an office, as, as many of us will know, is absolutely thriving now. Um, alongside her full-time role, which then morphed over the years into Director of Marketing and uh, Communications, Vicky undertook a DBA in Higher Education Management at the University of Bath, writing a thesis which explored different motivations for and approaches to internationalisation across the UK HE sector. Now, 10 years ago, and I don't know why on earth she did this, but Vicky decided to escape the pleasures of institutional life and became an independent consultant working with higher education institutions on their international strategy developments and many more things. She's undertaken many, many projects and I'm sure all of you listening will um, have either connected in with Vicky and some of her projects or be certainly aware of them. Um, during the pandemic in particular, actually, um, Vicky decided to investigate the characteristics of current university um, strategies for global engagement and consider what next um, what the next generation of these strategies would look like. This resulted in an absolutely fabulous sector report called UK Universities Global Engagement Strategies. Time for a rethink. Please if you haven't um, if you haven't engaged with this yet, please do so. It is an absolutely superb piece of piece of work. So Vicky very much I think has positioned herself as a very well respected commentator on various aspects of international education and internationalization um, so Vicky we're, we're, we're so delighted that you can be with us today and picking up on that last point actually of, of what you did during the, the lockdown I wonder whether I might begin the, the questioning by 
asking you a maybe a, quite a general one, but how you see the shape of international strategies have changed over the last few years? Well, th thank you, Judith. Thank you for that lovely introduction. And it's it's wonderful to be with you both today. Um, I've, I've been following your podcast with great interest. Um, you've had some fascinating um fascinating discussions so hopefully this one will will live up to the, to the its predecessors um yeah i mean I, th this this whole project came about because um it, it out out of um actually a piece of consultancy work i did for an institution where they they asked me to look at um different um strategies for global engagement as they were developing their own strategy they wanted to see what other people were doing and i thought well you know, given that we're all in lockdown, why not look at this across the whole sector? Um, and so that did result in having to read 136 strategic plans and 26 internationalisation strategies um, and analyse those. Um, and I also talked to um, lots of senior stakeholders across the sector to try and get a feel for how things were changing and what the next generation of strategies might look like. So in terms of what has changed, um, I think... It was clear to see because all of these strategies that were current in sort of late 2000, early 2001, um, as, you know, some of them had been written very recently and some of them had been written as far back as 2013, 2014. And you could see over that time the change, changes in terminology um, on a very simple level. So things like... Um, uh, kind of international tended to be replaced by global or global engagement a bit more um, and the focus just got much broader so um, it, in, in the earlier ones um, when people talked about internationalization it was very much focused on international student recruitment um, as time went on um, the rhetoric um, was much more about making a global contribution often there was were links to UN sustainable development goals um, and so on. So um, there was a, a difference in ethos, if you like. There was sort of more values-led. Um, but there were some things that were interesting. Those those sort of later ones around two, 2020, um, there was a kind of lack of profile of things like decolonization, which, um, you know, could be linked to international engagement, and a lack of emphasis on things like post-Brexit positioning, um, I think um, there's possibly a tendency of wait and see still mm. in, in 2020. Um, and one of the things that didn't really change over the years um, seemed to be the measures of success that institutions were using. So this, there was this wonderful noble rhetoric about making a positive global contribution, but the measures of success tended to be the traditional ones of building institutional profile, rising up the rankings, institutional income, um, and numbers of international students. So there was a bit of a disconnect there between you know, what was being said in the strategy and what was being measured in terms of, of um, how success, success was being evaluated. Um, so, I mean, in terms of, of how things have changed since then, um, I think you know, some, some of the points that came out of um, the conversations with senior sector stakeholders about what the future, what future strategies might look like um, were... Um, focused on things like really exploring the why of internationalization within those strategies, um, looking at the, the guiding values, guiding principles, um, and how that ties in with individual institutions' missions, trying to be um, more distinctive. 
um, addressing the intersection of um, internationalization and other kind of sort of local and global challenges. So things like climate impact, um, educate, um, uh, equality, diversity, inclusion, social and racial justice, where do they tie in with one another? Um, you know, can they be mutually reinforcing our tensions, um, that sort of area? Um, clearly, it's important to recognise the, the shifting global dynamics um, with kind of the balance of um, power in some ways shifting from west to east um, and really understanding partner country um, positions and missions and objectives um, rather than just assuming that, you know, everyone wants to do things in our kind of global northwestern way. Um, then, you know, on a more practical level, um, rethinking of partnership models, and I'm sure we'll come on to this in more detail, but um, the kind of looking at the role of transnational education um, as a means of widening access to um, an international education, greater flexibility and a sort of less distinction between this sort of on-campus and offshore delivery, um, new types of partner, um, greater emphasis on um, being part of global networks, um, consortia, collaborations. Um, and then another angle was around um, embracing um, what, what I call internationalization for all. So it's, it, it's that sort of internationalization at home, internationalization of the curriculum, ensuring that there is an opportunity to um, engage with global perspectives and inter intercultural experiences for the static majority, not just for those privileged few who are able to actually travel um, and reconfiguring curricula to make that happen. Um, so, yes. I'll stop rabbiting on. So go, go back. Yes, so that, yeah, that's fantastic, Vicky. There's a lot there, isn't there? Um, going back to your earlier point, really like to come back to, if I may, in a moment, the partnership models and the roles of TNE, because I think it would be good to explore that a little bit further. But going back to a point you made, though, earlier on about um, strategies that have been developed that had sometimes very very grand phrases within them, but still stuck to the usual and traditional measures of success in terms of profile and rankings and income and numbers of students, as, as you say. With this new wave of strategies that have come through, looking at you know that intersection with climate impact and social justice, that shifting um, global dynamic, as you've said, has there been... A, a shift in the game, the measures of success, or are they still those traditional ones? I mean, it. it I, I think that there is a shift in the the discourse. So I think people are talking more about alternative measures. I think what's difficult is at that sort of high institutional strategy level. Um, everything seems to be, it sort of has to be reduced down to something quite simple to measure. Um, so I'm not sure there's been a huge amount of change there. Um, but I think at the sort of level below that, when you're looking at supporting strategies, um, internationalisation or global engagement strategies, um, there's probably a bit more imagination being used. Um, and I mean, I, I'm always an advocate of having a balance of 
quantitative and qualitative um, measures um, and because I think the qualitative ones can be much more institution specific and mission specific um, the quantitative ones tend to be the ones that everybody's using um, when you when you were looking at these things um, did you also look at the sort of the resourcing behind them and I suppose the actions as well because as you say then there can be you know discourse relating to these different areas but are there actions active actions that underpin them and therefore you know our universities and colleges and, and academic institutions I suppose demonstrating the importance of those areas as, as much as they are for let's say international students by apportioning some aspects of resource to them too yeah, I mean, it, it's a really difficult one because, I mean, I, th I think, I mean, on the whole, it has got definitely got better. Um, but um, the conversations I'm having with with sector colleagues at the moment, um, they're in sort of very tight financial situations, most universities. Um, and um, so there is an element of what well, we need to secure our income streams before we can really invest in some of these areas that we would really like to invest in. And I'm, I'm seeing a kind of perhaps a move towards, I think there was already a move towards having slightly longer term international strategies, um, sort of moving from the kind of two, three year strategy to the five, 10 year strategy. And I'm seeing more of these 10 year strategies where a, a kind of overarching long term ambition is being articulated, a, a, a real sort of a part of the exciting vision in some cases. But there's a pragmatism in there, which it means that the first sort of two years, maybe or two or three years, there's a focus on securing income streams that can then be ploughed into doing some of the perhaps more altruistic things that the institution really aspires to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think the will is certainly there. I think um, at the moment, allocating resources to anything um, that hasn't been a priority up till now is a challenge. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose it's just, as, as we say, with the measures of success, but also with just knowing what success looks like, you know, on the ground, it's much more difficult, isn't it, to articulate those. But within those other areas, you know, that's even, yeah. say, around climate impacts and things like that. I suppose it's just with regard to that, you know, being mindful of what you're doing. Um, and if you are engaging in international activity, that, you, you know, you're, you're doing it at its most simplistic, you know, how much are you travelling, you're ensuring that you don't have to do that, you know, more than you absolutely Yeah, and I think, I think the um, one critical thing is, is joining up um, the different supporting strategies for the institutional strategy. Um, mm. There's there's still a tendency um, sometimes to sort of deal with them in a siloed way so that you've got your international strategy here and your sustainability strategy here and, and, and um, you know, there is... And that the institutions that get it right are the ones that join things up at an early stage yeah. so that conversations are being had and common objectives are being formulated. Yes, yes, it can be challenges, can't it, when you, you've got, you know, a, a net zero focus over here mm. and, you know, on the, the other end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, the, the, the need to encourage and bring international students potentially to, you know, the university, which might mean travelling out to other countries, etc., etc., and I suppose the different ways in which you might do that now. 
I'd like to come on, if I may, and I'm sure Chris will want to come in in a moment because this is his, certainly his area of expertise in particular. You mentioned about the rethinking of partnership models and, and the role of transnational education. And, and a couple of things I'd just like to get your reflections on, and it actually it links to your last point. It, very often in the past, you'd have a separate transnational education strategy, wouldn't you? So you might have an international strategy, but let's face it, a, a recruitment strategy for students on the one hand, and then, then on the other hand, you might have a separate one for transnational education. Do you think they... Do you think that isn't the case anymore? Do you think there are separate ones? Are there separate things that you would focus on with TNE, or are they again have those started to, to, to blend and, and blur and and come together? And and I suppose my second question, just following on from that, is do you think there's some areas of transnational education that have almost you know come back to the forefront, bearing in mind you know the challenges that we have around COVID? Did that really highlight some things that? Uh, Maybe we started to not, not either not uh, have such a focus on in, in the past and we're on the wane and come back again. So I'd, I'd really value your thoughts on that, you know, TNE strategies and where they sit, if they sit anywhere and, you know, what some of the new or old and just come back uh, actions might be. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I do think it's all coming together. I think that, um, you know, we, we, we love to put things in boxes um, and kind of um, sort of say, well, you know, contrast TNE students with on-campus students or, um, you know, ho even home and international students. We like to put those in, in boxes. We like to think about you know, internationalisation at home, internationalisation abroad. But I think that, you know, the lines have been becoming more and more blurred. Um, and you know, even even between sending countries and receiving countries, that's not really a useful distinction now because many countries are both. Um, so I, I do think that um, it, it's more helpful to have a strategy that is about um, you know that, that that can focuses more holistically on. Um, you know, the offer to students, whether that's an on-campus offer or whether that is um, a, an offer um, delivered overseas. Um, and and I, think, I, I think on the whole, that's probably happening when people are developing strategies that they... they I, I, I think it's, it's obviously easier to um, pigeonhole things, but I think... Um, well, I, I certainly, if I'm working with the university, I would certainly encourage them to think more um, broadly about um, the two aspects, being sort of two sides of the same coin rather than two different things. Um, and sorry, what was your second point? It was about are there are there some areas, um, you know, of, of transnational education? I mean, obviously we've got. I mean, I'm not going to say this, but but you, you you two know more about this than I do. But you know, you've got your franchise and your validation, and and you've got overseas campuses and things like that. Do you think there are some areas that have particularly come to the fore um, since COVID? Well, I, th I think um, that it, what, what COVID has done is is shown that um, having uh, having transnational partnerships can be really valuable in times when, um, you know, travel is restricted or, um, you know, even, you know, the, clearly there's a trend towards um, more um, regionalisation rather than necessarily travelling halfway across the, the world to study in another country. So, you, you know, you might study um, at a 
an international institution in your own country or in your wider region. And I think um, for that, the, the partnership side comes into its own um, and being able to work with a trusted partner to support students um, locally um, with, without them having to travel, um, you, you know, the value of that has, has been really emphasised through COVID. Um, and so I think some um, forms of transnational education um, like um, uh, joint degrees, dual degrees, um, could um, kind of, um, yeah, it can um, respond to, to those needs and be a much more collaborative two-way um, relationship um, than perhaps um, some of the types of TNE um, that were popular um, in the past. Um, I, I, I do think that you know there may be um, a, a leap on the part of UK universities to um, try to sort of use TNE as a, um, an income stream to support to supplement um, other income streams um, and um, I, I, I'm always a little bit hesitant about um, you know the, you're trying to um, find use that as a motivation for TNE I think you know there are other motivations that are much much more compelling um, and that much more you know long-term and sustainable um, and uh, I think ultimately it, it has to be about more than making money. It has to be about building a relationship um, between your institution and another institution, your country and another country, um, and providing opportunity to students. Um, I think you know, TNE has a huge um, potential to um, widen opportunity to a far, far greater um, constituency of students. Um, and I think the TNE that works best is the TNE that's entered into in that, in that spirit, really. I mean, I couldn't agree. I mean, not to put words in Judith's mouth, but we've had this conversation before, and I mean, this is a we agree completely with this. I'm, I'm wondering if I can just hold the conversation here for one second, because I know Judith's going to want to ask you about sort of emerging partnership models and and sort of the the creativity in that space. But it's interesting when you you were explaining about the the sort of the the shift in even just terminology and some strategies moving from the international internationalization to global. My my first thought was. Oh, so we've we've moved away from because we can't define internationalization. We can't really know what it is we're looking for. So we've moved to something even vaguer, which is global, because that that'll be even easier to to ill define. Um, but I was I was curious, and then you know your last point, um, many of the things you said very very clearly resonated. How is it that institutions are maybe understanding, if not measuring, the impact? of their international activity abroad? Because as you say, t and is not a money-making operation. I mean, it's, it, it might, you know, break even down the line, but that should not, nor is not the purpose of it. Um, and I, I'm just wondering, you know, with the point you made about the, the need for it to be naturally simplistic enough that it can be quantifiable, you know, for, you know, the very senior level and indeed the bottom line. I'm, I'm just wondering, what's the sense of, of of, of measurement or success i mean i mean how is how is that being if not defined how is that being discussed or or, or even conceived of perhaps i mean i i think um to be 
honest, at the moment, it is still at the stage of sort of, you know, counting numbers, um, you know, whether it's number of partnerships or number of um, students um, engaging in, in transnational education. But I think there are also conversations around things like graduate outcomes. Um, and I mean, this goes broader than just transnational education mm. students. I think it's international students generally looking at, you know, what, what actually is the impact of their UK education on um, their careers and um, their employability and, um, you know, how, in, in a way, sort of woollier things like how, how satisfied and happy they are in their careers. Did it, did, did what their experience um, undertaking a, a UK um, degree set them up in the way that they hoped it would? Um, so, I mean, there, there are areas like that. Um, and, I mean, I, I, I think what we're, we're seeing in some, with some institutions is a sort of much broader approach to partnership building. So um, it's not just institution to institution. It might be, um, you know, uh, uh, actually kind of city to city, or it might be um, linking into the wider um, kind of ecosystem um, in a country, um, employers, um, NGOs, um, you know, um, and, and, alumni um, clusters so that it's um, a bit more of a robust relationship um, and then you can start to measure different things I think it is it is a conundrum um, you know how do you measure the impact Um, and uh, I guess you know there are things like you know stakeholder perceptions surveys you can do um, but you know that's quite an investment and I think um, you know, you, it, it, it has to be, you, you can, you kind of have to do them twice to, to measure, measure the difference between the starting point and where you've got to. Um, yeah. So I, I haven't seen that happen too much. No, and, and I, that's not just a, a great answer, but a phenomenal segue back into, I guess, Judith's next question <laughs> yes. about partnership. For anybody listening, <laughs> this is how you are a, a professional guest. You just, you... <laughs> Direct the questioning in the dark. Yes, exactly. Well done. So, Judith, over to you about, about partnerships then. Yeah, you're starting to do this yourself now, Vicky. I think three days prison, I'm just going to get a coffee. No, I, 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 it's a really interesting point you made then about these emerging models of interaction with different types of partners. And, and, it, and, and one thing I'd like to talk to you, though, about with regard to this is obviously there's strong positives there. There can be the link into, you know, graduate outcomes and, and employability and, and how we can evidence and see how, how students can be being successful and responding to the environment, etc. That, of course, going back to your earlier point around um, measures of success might and should and could be a measure, of course, that we have at university institutions. We've got our own, you know, all students, surely we should be looking at the graduate outcomes for for all of them, um, I think. But but I think with this, though, there is a, there's a challenge and a risk here as well, isn't there? When you start to move beyond academia and you're working much more closely with companies and with governments and with NGOs, you know, I'm thinking particularly of the challenges that we've got around the trusted research agenda, around... Um, around, you know, managing the kind of risk and mitigation that you might with, with export control 
and those sorts of areas. So it's very much a balancing act, isn't it, between what is what you can do and what you know you should do and what is beneficial and how you manage that risk as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, risk is uh, uh, such a hot topic amongst um, university executive teams, university boards um, at the moment. And uh, you know, there's a greater awareness of the fragility of geopolitical relationships. Um, there's um, an I think pressure on those of a, those who are involved in international um, engagement to um, articulate what the risks are, um, you know how how they're going to be managed, how they're going to be mitigated, um, exit strategies, um, all of that. Um, and I mean, I think it's good. It's very and, and again, I think COVID sort of hurried this along a little bit. Um, this, this, I think, much more sophisticated conversations are having being being um, held at senior levels about risk and about scenario planning, um, and um, actually, I, you know, in some ways, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, international. Um, engagement internationalization um was a little bit of a fringe activity it was it was it was nice you know the, the, the board you would report to the board um you know how many international students everything's going well you know, oh no we've had a dip this year but um i think the conversations are starting to get a little bit more sophisticated um and um there's and i think it's really important that there's greater understanding at that board level um of um what um, being an international university is about what it involves and that it isn't just international student um, recruitment. And I think as you said earlier um, Vicky, that that notion that there's there's that intersectionality, that it's all connected together isn't it, it's not just internationalism just over there on one side and then you've got research here and you've got learning teaching in here and you've got sustainability there it's much much more complex isn't it and it all, all sort of connects in together I know we're starting to get towards the um, towards the end of the podcast now, but something I'm really interested to ask you about is, in a sense, then going back to earlier on in your career when you were still firmly embedded within an institution, you know, and you set up, as you say, the, the office in in um, in Bournemouth, and I'm and I'm really interested to hear about how you think international offices are going to have to potentially change you know as a result of you know the changing environment in which we're placed now and and the changing strategies in which we've got both at an institutional level and recruitment strategies as well so do you see that there's going to be a, a rebalancing in many ways of uk-based and in-country staff and offices for example Yes, and I, mean, I think we were already seeing that. I think um, I would say the 2010s were um, a period when a lot of institutions set up um, some kind of um, overseas office, whether whether it was a, a sort of roving individual or whether we, whether it was an actual office, whether it was a direct employee or whether it was done through um, a third party. But um, uh, that, that, that certainly was already happening. I think... Um, the, the next decade, um, with the emphasis on um, carbon emissions and reducing long haul travel, I think that will be, you know, there will be even greater emphasis on having people in country. I think the question is, you know, which country? Because, you know, it, it's 
I think is a big decision um, if, if you're going to try to kind of cover cover um, a lot of um, ground geographically. Um, they're different, obviously very different models of doing it. Um, but for me, there's also something quite apart from the um, reduction in carbon emissions from less long haul travel and having a sort of slimmed down um, UK team and more people in country. Um, there's also um, an element of it being a, a less sort of colonial, imperialistic way of working. Um, I, I, it, was, it was a bit uncomfortable for kind of, you know, someone from the UK flying into a country, doing all their um, mm. recruitment, business development, etc., flying back and then directing operations from UK HQ. I think there's something um, much more um, internationalized about um, having... Um, you know, people who are very close to the local context um, and um, able to be agile um, and to feed back intelligence um, to inform um, activities. Um, so, so being, you know, on the ground, I think, is a huge, huge advantage. Um, but the, but it, there is sort of the challenge of then joining it all up if you've got lots of um, sort of satellite operations around the place. It's a more internationalized approach, right? It's it's a, a more devolved, mm. more less centralized. But as you say, with with the knock on um, logistical difficulties, uh, uh, indeed, yeah, mm. yeah. But I think I mean, with you know, we're so used to operating um, remotely now, sure, sure um, yeah. that I think um, it's in a way again. I think that you know, the pandemic has possibly hastened um, the um, this, this kind of approach. Right, final quick question here then, Vicky. Where do we go from here? <laughs> the small question, yes. Oh, well, you've got one minute. <laughs> one minute. Um, I, I'm just going to say that there's something, there was a really positive piece of um, research that came out just the other day from the Policy Institute at um, King's College London for, um, uh, I think it was a, a world value survey that they conducted, which said that um, immigration, um, the attitudes towards immigration in the UK are amongst the most positive um, in, internationally. So it, it sort of goes against, because I think in the UK we, we have this real... Um, struggle at the moment with um, different government departments pulling in different directions and um, uh, kind of sowing confusion. Um, and I think it's lovely to sort of um, kind of to have evidence that actually the UK is a very international um, uh, welcoming kind of place. And that's something that we need to hold on to in our um, efforts as international educators. Fantastic. Um, well, yeah, but that's been a, a, a well, a whistle stop tour of, of some incredibly in depth um, and reflective uh, analysis. Um, uh, it's been a pleasure to listen to Vicky. I mean, I'd, hopefully, you'll be able to come back and, and, and talk to us um, in, in more detail about you know, anything that you'd like to talk about. Really, it'll be it'll be interesting for us all the same. Um, but no, I mean, this has been this has been. Fantastic in terms of, you know, understanding the way universities are moving internally, the, the way they're, they're then thinking about how they engage externally um, and indeed internationally. And I need some of the opportunities that you've raised in terms of, 
you know, rethinking the way they, they do and approach their, their, um, their sort of main mission um, and indeed how, how they can maybe diversify to further include. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very positive um, note. Um, it certainly ends the podcast better than it started with Judith saying all the good people work in Wales. As I've never done that. So it, I'm taking, it, taking another beating in today's, today's You've conversation. You've got time. You've got time, Christopher. You've still got time. <laughs> That's true. That, that, that is true, yes. Can, can, I, can we just maybe finish, though, finish this by um, urging people that are listening to go and, and check out Vicky's uh, report on UK universities' global engagement strategies, Time for a Rethink, because it really is an excellent and thought-provoking piece of work. But back right at you, Vicky, now, I think what we're expecting now is part two. Because you've done that. <laughs> And that's a couple of years ago now. We're in a slightly different place now. So we, we look forward to an, to an epilogue with regard to that. Well, well, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been great talking to you both. Um, I, I will um, uh, consider that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful well um, thank you very much thank indeed you. and uh, and uh, we look forward to, to having you on again in the in the not too distant future thank you 